0: So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. We'll be in verses 14 to 29. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. February 15th, 2015. 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians were on the beach, tied up in orange suits, on camera, kneeling before members of ISIS, and were put to death by them. They were beheaded. And not because they were criminals, but because they were Christians, because they confessed Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. They were persecuted. For their faith. And that's because the world hates Jesus. You see, this story is not an isolated story, but rather it is what has been going on since the beginning of the church. Since the church was birthed, there has been persecution towards the church. You see, throughout church history, many Christians have suffered persecution. And even today, Christians still suffer persecution. You see, the reality is, if you're a Christian, then you will suffer. If we are faithful to the mission of Christ, to the mission of the church, then we will endure persecution. You see, faithfulness to Christ is costly. And if you're going to be faithful to him, then suffering persecution of some kind is inevitable. And that's what we see today in the passage. So Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29, please stand for the reading of God's word. King Herod heard about it because Jesus' name had become well known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah, still others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets from long ago. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, the one I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. John had been telling Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very perplexed, and yet he'd like to listen to him. An opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. When Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. He promised her with an oath, whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, she said. At once she hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter immediately. Although the king was deeply distressed because of his oaths and the guests, he did not want to refuse her. The king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard about it, they came and removed his corpse and placed it in a tomb. You may be seated. You see, from this passage, we'll see that being faithful to the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ, it will result in suffering. And here, we'll see that faithfulness can lead to, one, suffering by imprisonment. And two, we see that it can lead to suffering by death. You see, faithfulness to Christ, it can lead to suffering by imprisonment, and it can lead to suffering by death. So our first point, suffering by imprisonment. Look at verse 14. It says, King Herod heard about it. You see, this is Herod Antipas. Now, if you read the New Testament, you will see Herod's name mentioned multiple times. And it's important to know that they are not all referring to the same person, but they are all related. You see, in Matthew chapter 2, you have Herod the Great, who ruled. And in our passage, you have his son, Herod Antipas. And if you read the book of Acts, You'll see the name Herod Agrippa, which is Herod the Great's grandson. And it says that King Herod heard about it because Jesus' name had become well known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets from long ago. You see, Jesus' reputation has been spreading even kings are hearing about him. Herod heard about his ministry and his mighty acts. You see, during that time, there were three popular opinions about Jesus. Some believed him to be John the Baptist raised from the dead. Now, most who believe this, they never met John the Baptist nor Jesus. You see, they didn't know that John actually baptized Jesus. They didn't know much about either. But the other opinion, the second opinion, was that word on the street was that he was Elijah. Now, some would wonder, why Elijah? Well, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. And in fact, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it states that Elijah will be the forerunner for the Lord, that he would prepare the way for the Lord. And so they didn't believe Jesus to be the Lord, but to be the one who precedes the Lord, who gets the people ready for the Lord's coming. And others said that he was a prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah. You see, these popular opinions about Jesus have been circling the city. It has gone from the barber shop to the butcher shop. It has gone from the playground to the palace. And here we see that just because an opinion is popular, doesn't mean that it is true. You see, Jesus, he isn't John the Baptist resurrected from the dead. And he's not Elijah, nor was he a prophet. And even in our day, there are a lot of opinions about Jesus. Many people believe that he was just a prophet, or that he's a good teacher, or that he's a god. Now, those opinions may be popular, but they are as false as the opinions in this passage. You see, Jesus, he is the Christ, the Son of God. He's the final prophet, and he fulfills the prophetic ministry. In fact, in Hebrews, it makes known that in the last days, God has spoken through his Son. And he's much more than a prophet. He holds the office of priest, prophet, and king. He's the Son of God, and all things were created through him. He's the Word who became flesh. He is one person with two natures. He is truly God and truly man. He is the King who brings in the kingdom. And beloved, salvation is dependent upon believing in Jesus, not according to popular opinions, but as he is revealed in Scripture. You see, one's conclusion about Jesus has eternal ramifications. So it's imperative to believe the truth about Jesus because life hinges upon it. And sadly, here we see in this text that Herod doesn't believe the truth about Jesus. Look at verse 16. It says, when Herod heard of it, he said, John, the one I beheaded, has been raised you see, Herod heard about Jesus and he was alarmed. He was disturbed because he had beheaded. Well, he was disturbed because he had beheaded John and he's worried that John has returned and is haunting him. You see, he, don't believe that Je- he believes that Jesus is John the Baptist resurrected from the grave, so he's afraid. And then we see, and the last thing that we learn about John the Baptist, or I like to call him JTB, was in chapter 1, verse 14, where it says that he was arrested. Now, we've never known why, but Mark now provides the context of what happened. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says, For Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You see, Herod had John arrested and imprisoned for the sake of Herodias. What had happened was Herod had divorced his first wife, convinced his half-brother's wife to divorce her husband so that he himself could marry her. Talk about sin destroying the family. And here, We see that John the Baptist knew about it, but he didn't hold his tongue. He wasn't silent. He didn't quietly watch Herod destroy his soul. But rather, he spoke up and confronted him in his sin. He was rebuking Herod for his transgression because Herod had sinned. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 16 and chapter 20 verse 21 states that a man should not marry his brother's wife. And this is exactly what Herod did. Herod broke apart what God has put together. And John, what he's doing is he exposed Herod's sin to him and called him to repent. And as you think about this, this was very courageous of John the Baptist because he didn't have the constitution that granted him freedom of speech. You see, confronting the king in his sin and calling him to repentance could very well result in John's own death but John wasn't concerned about his life and reputation but about being faithful to the ministry that God called him you see John was a prophet not a politician he didn't worry himself about polls and ratings for from preaching you see he didn't preach for the likes the tweets or the retweets or the approval of others he didn't preach one message to the poor and a more palatable message to princes. He didn't regard status. Rather, he preached that everyone should repent. And this is the very thing that got him thrown into prison. He was imprisoned for preaching. Talk about undeserved suffering and an unjust imprisonment. You see, he committed no offense he was only preaching that the king should repent. Now, as we think about this, I know that I imagine that we ourselves are challenged as we think about John the Baptist. And the question for us is, are we like him? Are we more concerned about the mission of the church than our own lives and reputations? Are we committed to preaching the gospel, even if it will result in suffering by imprisonment? You see, John, he didn't regard status. He preached the same message to everyone. How often do we regard status when sharing the gospel? Do we even share the gospel if we think someone is of a higher status than ourselves? Are we unashamedly preaching the gospel? Or do we concern ourselves with the possible outcomes of persecution and rejection and then choose to not evangelize? Let me put it more plainly for us. Do we love ourselves and our comfort more than the eternal state of other souls? You see, John the Baptist was willing to risk his life to call Herod to repent. And this was the loving thing. You see, he rebuked Herod in hopes that Herod would repent. And the question for us is, are we as loving as we see John the Baptist in this passage? You see, truth is, silence can be very unloving. It's unloving to not evangelize when opportunities may arise. And it's equally unloving to remain silent as you witness your brother or sister in Christ walk in sin. Now, I'm not saying that those conversations are easy, but by the help of the Holy Spirit, we can be bold. And some may wonder well, how do I grow in boldness? Well, I would say one way is to pray for boldness. Ask other members of the church to pray for you in your boldness. And then boldly speak and trust God. You see, saints, may we be bold and clearly preaching the gospel. And may we be bold and lovingly confronting our brothers and sisters when they're in sin. Verse 18 again says that John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You see, in 2020, some may read this and use this verse as their license to go in on politicians, especially via social media. Now, if that's you, I would encourage you to slow your roll a little bit. You see, a few things to consider. One is that John preached that everyone should repent and not just Herod. You see, he wasn't a Herod basher. He didn't slander Herod. And he also rebuked Herod for a specific sin. And another thing to remember is that this wasn't the only message that Herod heard John preach. And another thing is that John's motive was so that Herod would repent. You see, he didn't expose Herod's sin because he had disdain towards Herod. But because he wanted Herod to turn away from his sin. So if you're tempted to call out politicians online... I would encourage you to be quicker to pray for their repentance than you are to speak about their sin. If you're going to call them out, I want you to ask yourself, what is the goal? Is it their repentance? Because that was John's sole reason for rebuking Herod, that he may repent. Look at verse 19. It says, so Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. You see, Herodias was infuriated. She didn't like her husband being rebuked for his sin. And also, she was equally guilty of the same sin. So she may very well have personalized it and internalized it, seeing it as, man, she's guilty and she's being reproved as well. And what we see is that her, she harbored bitterness in her heart and had it out for John. You see, in her mind, John the Baptist was public enemy number one. She hated John because he was holy and righteous. She didn't love his message. She loved her sin. And so she had one mission, that is to see to it that he is killed. You see, Herodias didn't want to put her sin to death. She wanted to put to death the prophet who called her out on her sin. And her reaction... It should cause us to ponder and wonder for ourselves. How do we respond when we're rebuked? Are we angry? Are we frustrated? Do we harden our own hearts? Are we humble and receive it with humility? Are we resistant towards the reproof? Or are we repentant? You see, friends, this will be something good to discuss with other members of the church. And also pray for one another that we will have humble hearts and that we would respond with repentance when we are rebuked for our sins. You see, though Herodias wanted John the Baptist dead, we learn that Herod prohibited her from killing him. Look at verse 19 again. It says, but she could not because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very perplexed. And yet he liked to listen to him. You see, Herod revered John. John was a morally upright man who practiced what he preached and Herod knew it. You see, this reality infuriated Herodias, but it caused Herod to fear. And Herod not only feared John, but he kept listening to John's preaching. And as he listened, he was confronted and possibly convicted of his sin but he was also fascinated by John's preaching, which is very strange as you think about it, because at one sense he was in anguish as he listened, confronted by this authoritative message, and yet he listened with great pleasure. How does this happen? I don't know, but it does. It's like how Benjamin Franklin was good friends with George Whitfield, a preacher in the First Great Awakening, Benjamin Franklin, he enjoyed listening to Whitfield preach the gospel, and yet he didn't believe it. He wrote this of Whitfield. He says, no discourse of his among us has given more general satisfaction, nor has the preacher ever met with more universal applause, having demonstrated himself to be as sound and zealous a Protestant as he is a good and masterly orator. You see, Franklin loved hearing Whitfield preach, but he never believed Whitfield's message. And we see the very same thing here in this passage. You see, Herod heard John the Baptist, but he didn't heed John the Baptist's message. He loved it, but he didn't believe it, which should lead us to be on guard, because it's very possible to love to listen to good and faithful preaching, but never heed the message especially in the Bible Belt. It can be easy to go to church every week, enjoy the preaching, but continue to live in sin and never repent and believe the gospel. You see, beloved, it's not enough to enjoy listening to the preaching of the word and have some sort of conviction that never results in grievance over sin and confession and repentance. That's not the appropriate response. It doesn't please God. You see, the appropriate response would be to hear, to grieve, to have godly sorrow over your sin, and to respond with confession, repentance, and trust in Jesus Christ. And by the grace of God, walk in obedience. You see, that's the response that pleases God. God himself says that he doesn't despise a broken and contrite heart. So may we hear, heed, and repent. And so how do you respond to the preached word? When convicted, how do you respond? Do you ignore conviction or do you confess it? Are you obeying the word or are you only fascinated by your favorite preacher? May we have humble hearts. May we hear and respond to the word, being hearers and doers of it. You see, what we see in this passage is that John the Baptist, he suffered imprisonment. Because he was faithful to his calling. He preached repentance, and his ministry led him to suffering by imprisonment. See, King Herod and Herodias, they loved their sin. And so they had to shut him up by imprisonment. Hmm. So we've seen that faithfulness can lead to suffering by imprisonment. And now we will see that faithfulness in ministry, it can lead to suffering by death. Look at verse 21. It says, an opportune time came on his birthday. You see the phrase, an opportune time? You see, Herodias saw Herod's birthday as the right occasion for John to be killed. She wasn't satisfied with her husband's attempt to appease her with imprisonment. She saw his birthday as the perfect time to carry out her wishes. She thought through it and planned the whole thing. It's like George Clooney's character in Daniel Ocean in the movie Ocean's Eleven. Herodias has put together a master plan of her own to accomplish John's execution. It says, An opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. You see, Herod, he threw this party, and the guest list was full of the rich, the powerful, and the prestigious. And at this banquet, they ate and drank and turned up. And during the party, look what happened. Verse 22. When Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. He promised with an oath, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. You see this little teenage girl of royal descent? She came to where Herod and the guests were and she danced sensually, seductively before her uncle slash stepdad and these adult men. And as you see in verse 23 where it says the girl, the Greek word used here is the very same Greek word as in chapter 5 verses 41 and 42 when Jesus raised up the 12-year-old girl. You see, this was a young girl who was instructed by her mother To dance lewdly before her mother's husband, Herodias would use her own daughter to arouse her husband's flesh, so that he may lust after his daughter, in hopes that he may ask his daughter to make a generous that he may make a generous offer to his daughter. You see, this is wicked. This is deplorable. Herod and his family, they were guilty of various sins in this passage, from coveting to adultery to angry to anger to malice, some forms of sexual immorality. And now we see lust. You see, this little girl used her body to cause men to lust after her, whereas God didn't create our bodies to be instruments for sexual sin, to be used to inflame lust and passions. You see, we are not to objectify fellow image bearers and use them as instruments for personal gratification. And here we see in this passage that sin really does destroy lives, especially sexual sin. It has disqualified men from ministry and has been the reason why many marriages, even Christian marriages, have ended in divorce. You see, adultery and pornography has ravaged the church. Sexual sin, it, is, it distorts the good intimacy that God has given to be delighted in in marriage. And rather, it twists it for selfish purposes and gratifies the flesh. And the thing is, the flesh is insatiable. It is never satisfied. The flesh knows no boundary. There is no line that the flesh will keep you from crossing. It craves more and more and more. Until it brings about your death. You see, beloved, this scene should sober us as we think about our own sin. Because the reality is that we're not above sin or its temptations. We're not greater than Herod. You see, may we not try to tame our sin as if it's an animal that needs to be trained. We must renew our resolve to not walk in sin. You see, we shouldn't coddle play with, or entertain sin, especially sexual sin. As we read earlier in the scripture reading, we shouldn't commit adultery. And Jesus, he commands us to not look at a woman with lustful intent. So, beloved, may we put to death our sin. May we resist the flesh. I would encourage you to memorize verses that will help you fight the flesh. Verses like Job 31.1 or Psalm 16.11 or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 7. I'd also encourage us to confess our sins to others, that we may bring it to light, for sin grows in darkness. And to those who are struggling with sexual sin, know that we can truly put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit and by the grace of God. It is because of Christ's finished work that we are no longer enslaved to sin. So may we resist it because Christ has set us free. Back in the passage, here it says, Ask me whatever you wish, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath Whatever you ask me, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. You see, here we see that Herodias' plan has worked. Herod's flesh has been aroused, which has led him to act upon impulse and make a a very generous offer. When he says, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom, this is a proverbial statement, communicating that he will give generously to this little girl. He practically writes a blank check and tells her to tell him the amount because he won't refuse it. Verse 24, it says, she went out and said to her mother, what should I ask? He said, John the Baptist's head, she said. And so she hears it, consults with her mother, and her mother gives the request. John the Baptist's head. This was premeditated. You see, she didn't think about the answer, but rather she answered quickly. Her disdain towards John, it has never dissipated. Instead, it has only grown and festered. See, she wasn't satisfied with John's imprisonment. She wanted him decapitated. She hated the prophet and his message. And so the girl, she heeds the instruction. And in verse 25, it says, at once she hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter immediately. And so she takes the advice, runs to Herod, and requests for John to be beheaded and she wants him to be killed that very instance. You see, she wanted his head on a platter immediately. This little girl spoke of John's head as if it was an appetizer to be served. And in fact, she did serve it. She served it to her mother later. Verse 26, it says that although the king was deeply distressed because of his oaths and the guests he did not want to refuse her. You see, Herod heard the request and he's conflicted. He's deeply grieved. A ton of inner turmoil is going on within him because he doesn't want to kill John the Baptist. He, in fact, he probably regretted the offer. And the reality is, beloved, we will always regret acting upon the flesh. No good results ever come from making decisions according to the flesh. You'll always regret giving in, but you'll never regret resisting your flesh. You see, Herod is in a difficult spot. Will he do what's right and protect John, or will he choose to protect his reputation? You see, if he opposed the request, he'd look terrible and weak in front of his guests. His oaths would be considered empty. And So Herod, he is plagued with the fear of man and he chooses to concede to the princess's request. Look at verse 27. It says, The king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard about it, they came and removed his corpse and placed it in a tomb. You see, he goes and has John beheaded, An innocent man suffered unjustly. Here is an undeserved death sentence for preaching repentance and exposing sin. You see, like the prophets of old, how they were persecuted, and so we see in this passage how John was persecuted. We see a righteous and holy man be put to death as if he was a criminal. All because he was faithful to preaching that all people should repent even kings you see faithfulness to john's calling and mission is what led to his execution he suffered for doing the will of god and as we think about it this passion narrative points us forward to an undeserved suffering to the undeserved suffering of our lord and savior jesus christ you see like john the baptist jesus too suffered for being faithful to doing the will of god And as you think about the comparisons and the parallels, it is incredible. First, John the Baptist, he was respected by Herod. So too, Pontius Pilate thought that Jesus was innocent. Herodias' hatred is what really led to John's death. So the Jewish leaders hated Jesus, and they incited his crucifixion. Herod yielded to the external pressure to have John beheaded, Pontius Pilate, he conceded to Jewish leaders' demands to have Jesus crucified. John's disciples, after he was beheaded, they came and buried him. Well, after Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they came and asked for Jesus' body that they may bury him. John was a righteous man who suffered unjustly. Jesus is the sinless one who died a sinner's death. You see, the biggest difference is that Jesus came to earth knowing that he would die by crucifixion. You see, this was the will of God. His mission was to save and that it would be through the cross. It was the plan of salvation. You see, John's death saved no one. But Jesus' death saves all who would repent and trust in him. You see, when Jesus died, he bore the wrath of God on the cross. God's wrath was propitiated, meaning that it was satisfied because Jesus died and shed his very own blood. And all who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus will be forgiven of their sins and they will be saved. You see, if you're not a Christian... I would encourage you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And there's know that there is no sin that you've committed, that God is incapable of forgiving. In this passage, we see sins like adultery, lust, malice, fear of man. Friends, know that all of them can be forgiven. You see, Jesus, he came into the world to save sinners. And his precious blood cleanses all confess their sins and turn away and trust in him. And so I would implore you, don't be like Herod, who loved listening to preaching, but who was resistant to repentance. Rather, I would, I would exhort you to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ this very day and be saved. And if you'd like to talk, you can talk to any of the members after service. You see, beloved, John was put to death because he was courageous, and because he was faithful to preach that all should repent. It costed him his very own life. And as in the context of Mark chapter 6, as the apostles, they were now involved in ministry. And being Jesus' representatives, they will learn that as John suffered and died, and they will hear that Jesus will suffer and die, and they will see him suffer and die, they will learn that they too will suffer and die for following Jesus. You see, as Christ followers, we must count the costs. You see, being a disciple of Jesus will lead to suffering, and it very well may lead to our death. You see, if we were to be faithful to the calling that we've received, we must first consider the cost of faithfulness. John died, and it foreshadowed Jesus' death. And not only does it foreshadow Jesus' death, but it also foreshadows the death of anyone who would die for following Jesus. Beloved, are you willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? You see, for Christians in America, suffering physical persecution may be foreign to us, but it's it's a reality for Christians around the world. Yet we must still count the costs. You see, beloved, we will suffer for Christ. Our suffering may not look like imprisonment or death, but we will suffer for Jesus. We may suffer contempt, slander, loss of family relationships, loss of jobs and reputations, physical persecution, and possibly death. You see, the reality is suffering is inevitable for Christ followers. And that's because if the world hated Jesus, then they will hate his followers. And in fact, as you read the entire New Testament, it assures us that Christians will be persecuted. Acts chapter 14 verse 22 says that it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 says that all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. First Peter chapter four, verse 16 says that, "But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. You see, we will suffer. And as difficult as that is, may we remember that Jesus is worth it. He is worth us losing our very own lives. Mark chapter 8, Jesus makes known that whoever loses his life because of me and because of the gospel will save it. Paul makes known that for him to live as Christ and to die is gain, that we get to gain Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 says that for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen but what is unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, Paul, he describes our persecution in light of, he describes it as light and momentary in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. Beloved, may we remember this, because we will suffer for being Christians. If we are faithful to the mission of the church, persecution will come. May we endure it because Jesus is worth it. You see, if we were to have a conversation with any of the 21 Coptic Christians who lost their lives for Christ that very day, they'd tell us that Jesus is worth it. So beloved, may we be faithful and endure persecution on account of Christ, knowing that he is worth it. And one day, our faith will turn into sight and we will see that he was more than worth it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, you are our only Savior. Christ is our only hope. We thank you that as he is resurrected from the grave and you have caused us to be born again, we have an eternal hope that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That we have a hope beyond this life. That because you have united us to Christ, we have been raised with him one day. We will be with him for all of eternity and that he is the great reward. Father, we pray that we would endure persecution well, that we would do so fully dependent upon you, that we would look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, that we would not seek our own comfort, but that we would seek Christ, that we would be willing to lay down our very own lives, knowing that he is the gain and the reward. Oh Father, we pray that He will return soon, that our faith will be turned to sight and that we would worship Him all of our days. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.